Okay, now we're continuing our study journey through the book of Acts after a break last week when John shared a, a message from the book of Philemon. Thanks, John, for that. Now, the book of Acts starts at the time of the early church, and it is through the book of Acts how we see God scatters his apostles throughout the region to spread his word. And one of the ways God achieves this is through the use of prayer, which is the aspect our studies are centered upon. Prayer is so important in our Christian lives. Now, last time, a couple of weeks ago, we saw in chapter 9 how God uses prayer effectively in the conversion of Saul. And today, in chapter 10, we learn about the man Cornelius in Caesarea and how God uses prayer further. And it's entitled, Cornelius Calls for Peter. And it says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And, some, and while the uh, meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. 
The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a new, sorry, for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask what you sent for me? Why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing, and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Thanks, Kevin. Hands up all those people who have fallen into a trance while they were waiting for the meal to be served. <laughs> I know what that's like. 
If I look like I'm grimacing at you today, it's not because I'm being extra serious. I've just got a headache. Um, <clears throat> but there we go. Been looking at all, we set ourselves to look at all the occasions where somebody prayed in Acts and see what happened. And that brings us to Acts 10 and this important and famous story about um, Peter and Cornelius. And the question it raises is this, are there any no-go places in your Christian witness? Places where you are not prepared, really, to take Jesus. And you say, theoretically, no, of course not, but practically. Or actually, perhaps more importantly at this point in time, are there any no-go areas in church life, people you don't associate with? And you'd say, no, of course not, but practically... And chances are you don't actually know the answer. That's the nature of blind spots, that you don't see them until somebody raises them with you. And today we find Peter, and with him the fledgling church in Acts getting a kick in the blind spot um, from the Lord. So Jesus had told his disciples that they would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. And in God's providence, the gospel has escaped Jerusalem. It's made its way to Samaria through the persecution that dispersed the Christians, the preaching of Philip, which we saw. But there's still a mass of people being missed. And does this just mean Jews in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? So in last time, um, before John preached, and this time we see two significant conversions, which break down the barriers of expectations in the mind of the early church. Last time, it was Saul was converted. The light came on. He saw the risen Jesus on the Damascus road and recognized that he was the Messiah. And for the church, the light came on as they saw their most hardened opponent turn to 180 degrees and realized God can reach anybody. And this week, Cornelius becomes a Christian. He recognizes and believes that Jesus is the crucified Messiah, and the fledgling church sees for the first time that the gospel is directly for Gentiles too. So let's have a little look at Cornelius. There are lots of reasons that the Jewish Christians might expect the worst of Cornelius. He's a soldier, he's a captain, he's a foreigner, he's a Roman, living in a largely Roman town. They might think he's a pagan. Romans were a really religious lot. There are lots of traditional gods invoked at all levels of society. They had lots of superstitions, lots of mystery religions, not to mention um, emperor worship. But this is not Cornelius. In fact, he's quite an impressive character. He's a monotheist. He's come to believe in the one God. And he's a God-fearer, we're told. And that was, in some ways, a technical term. It could be a technical term for someone who's accepted the ethical standards of the Jews, and he goes to synagogue worship, but he's not been circumcised. So he's not a Jew, he can't call himself a Jew, he's not being circumcised. But he's devout, that's demonstrated by his prayer life and by his giving. So he's a believer, really, in the Old Testament sense, I think, apart from the fact he's not being circumcised as a Jew. And so one day, at three in the afternoon, this is the customary Jewish time of prayer. Go back to Acts 3. Cornelius is having his regular prayer time. And God sends him a vision. 
angel stands before him, he hears the voice, and he recognizes where he's come from straight away. What is it, Lord, he says, and he's ready and open to obey. And God says, I know your earnestness, he says, I know what you've done, but there is something further I want you to hear if you want to be right with me. And he says, send to Joppa for Peter, and the angel gives him an address. Um, and so Cornelius obeys. He sends off two servants and, um, and a devout soldier, believing soldier is sent. Well, at the same time, if we look at Peter, as these messengers are traveling, Peter is praying. It's just before lunch, and his stomach is distracting him from his devotion, we might say. And God uses the opportunity It's amusing, really. And then he presents Peter, who's waiting for his lunch, a a huge sheet full of kosher and non-kosher animals, and says to him, kill and eat. And Peter responds with what is surely actually a contradiction in terms. Surely not, Lord. He swears that he's never eaten anything unclean. Now, being Peter, do we believe him? Well, that's not the issue here. But God responds with, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Notice the wording. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. It's not limited to food. In fact, this is not about food at all, as it turns out. In fact, Peter's going to find out God is in the business of making people who they think as unclean, clean in his sight. And it's repeated three times total. Why is that? Or maybe just to convince Peter that this is not a figment of his hungry stomach. It's worth noting, isn't it, that the Lord is quite able to make himself clear. Sometimes you feel like you've had an impression of something that the Lord's laid on your heart. Well, just go back to him and ask him again. Um, The Lord is quite able to make himself clear. And Peter's reflecting on this vision, wondering what it means. When the Spirit tells him that three men are looking for him and that he shouldn't hesitate to go with them. I've sent them, God says. He says, don't think twice, just go. And and at that moment they arrive, Peter goes down to meet them and he invites them in to stay as guests. And at that point you see he's already started to get the message, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And the next day we hear that they set out, taking some of the believers um, along with him. So he takes along some friends, worth noting in passing as well, that, that witness is not necessarily a solo activity. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he knows that this is unprecedented. It says in um, verse 28, but God has shown me. I shouldn't call anything, any man, actually, is what he says. Verse 28, let's just check. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came. And now he says, why did, he, why did you ask me to come? And Cornelius says, well, God's told me that you've got something that I need to hear. And Peter says, verse 34, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts, hear it, men from every nation, men and women from every nation, who fear him and do what is right. Gospel has suddenly jumped, hasn't it, out of the Jewish track and is going out to everybody. Men and women from every nation. 
And so Peter tells him the gospel. This is what he needs to hear. He may be a believer in the Old Testament sense, but, but he needs to hear the gospel. Um, that's the next slide. And Peter brings the same gospel he's preaching all along. He speaks as an apostle and he, and he kind of, uh, he repeats this, that he's an eyewitness of these things. He says, from the time of John the Baptist, Jesus was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus of Nazareth, a historical, um, verifiable, eyewitnessed uh, eye figure. Was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing, delivering those oppressed by the devil. And we're witnesses, Peter says. And then Jesus was crucified, hung on a cross. It's the way that he puts it. But God raised him on the third day. God caused him to be seen. Again, Peter says, we're witnesses. We saw this. And then Jesus commanded his followers to preach the message. And God ordained Jesus, he says, to be judge of the entire world. And he's the one, Peter says, was foretold by the prophets all through the Old Testament. Jesus says it speaks of him, and Peter repeats this to Cornelius, and he's the one who brings forgiveness. This is the gospel. It's, it's simple, isn't it? Jesus is God the Son, come in human form. Jesus is crucified. Jesus hung on a tree in payment for your debts before God. How do we know that's true? Jesus was raised again. God caused it, and Jesus was seen, seen by a whole variety of eyewitnesses raised again from the dead. This is the gospel. And Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Is that the gospel? You believe it? You believe it? You trust it? Hung your life upon it? Staked your future? Your life beyond death upon it, yeah. Well, God doesn't let Peter finish with the big altar call. Maybe Peter's ready to say, and if you want to accept this, come forward now, but, but uh, the Holy Spirit's already come upon, the, um, uh, upon these people here. Holy Spirit comes, it's demonstrated with tongues, they start speaking in tongues. Peter recognizes that God is at work, and they're baptized. God makes the unclean clean. The gospel is for everyone. So I think just four, four brief lessons out of this. And the first one is this. Believe, receive, and be baptized. This is the gospel. Believe it, trust it. Receive the forgiveness it is on offer if you haven't received it. You know whether you've, you're right before God. Receive the Holy Spirit. You're not a Christian until the Holy Spirit has come into your life. What's the evidence? The Holy Spirit at work in your life. Can you point to it? Do you know it? He convicts of sin, not just once and for all when you become a Christian, but after you become a Christian. He, he tells you where you're going wrong. 
convinces you that God is your father. We see him here leading Peter, gives you nudges and prompts you. Um, he opens your eyes to the reality of, of, of scripture. Um, he, he gives you love for your brothers and, and sisters in Christ. Um, he makes prayer a living uh, reality for you. Is the, is the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Trust that he is, but, he, but if he isn't, then I have to ask the question, have you, have you become a Christian in, in these terms? And above that, then in Acts 2, what happens when the Holy Spirit came? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But here are the first instances that they speak in tongues. It could be that it's like um, Acts 2, like Pentecost, that they speak in known tongues, but it could be. We never get that sense again in the New Testament that um, the tongues are heard and understood by people, uh, by other people. So I think more likely that they're heavenly tongues. Uh, they're a new um, prayer language. And it could still be when the Holy Spirit comes into your life that you get the gift of tongues. It's a useful gift. And the proper response is to be baptised. So we're in an exciting phase of church life to have baptisms upon baptisms. We're going to have baptisms on the 9th of July, God willing. So we've got two more people to, to baptise. So if uh, you have not been baptised, you're, you're a Christian and you know that you're a Christian, but you've never been baptised, um, now is the time. You need to put that right. It's a, it's a step of obedience to the Lord um, and you need to do it. So that's the first application. Very simple. Believe the gospel, receive forgiveness, receive the Holy Spirit, um, get baptised. The second application, really simple as well, the gospel is for everyone. God does not show partiality. That's what, uh, that's what Peter says. God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation... The one who fears him and does what is right. Okay? No worries. You just won't get the words on the, um, on the word search. It's a good job the other projectors come back from the repair shop, isn't it? I think it's probably just overheated today. It's really hot, isn't it? Yeah, don't worry about it. God doesn't show favoritism, but he accepts all those from every nation. The one who fears him and he does what is right. This is our heritage, isn't it? As a group um, of non-Jews. This is our, our glory. This is what we believe, isn't it, that we don't have to become Jews to become Christians, um, which is great news. You do not have to be circumcised. You don't have to become a Jew first to become a Christian. You can come straight to God in Christ and through Christ. What great truth. But the gospel then is for everyone, do we? Do we feel there are people who don't need the gospel because they're too godless? We think they won't be interested because they're too hard, we think, or they're too sorted, they don't have a need, or because they are too alien. 
So for instance, do our Muslim friends need the gospel? Yes, they do. Are they too difficult to reach? Well, then think about Saul. He was uh, 180 degrees opposed to the gospel. No, they're not. Do they need the gospel? Yes. Can the gospel reach them? Yes. You need to have a conversation with um, Rio. He's one of our mission partners in Indonesia. Do Muslims need Christ and, and turn to Christ? Yes, they do. Do our Jewish friends need the gospel? Yes, they do. Think of um, Cornelius. He was a God-fearer. He could have um, become circumcised and, and become a Jew, but that wasn't what he needed. He needed the gospel. And Peter at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't think that the devout Jews in Jerusalem are sorted. He says, no, he says, pleaded with them, save yourselves. There's no one who doesn't need the gospel. So there's no one too hard. There is no one too alien. There's no one who can approach God through their own religion and be saved without Christ. Jesus is not an imposition of a Western value system. Certainly he should not be. Everyone out there needs to hear the gospel and no one is too hard for the Lord to reach. What's the upshot of that? Well, we, we were asking you to pray, haven't we? We've asked you to pray. Pray for opportunities to talk about your faith. Pray for eyes to see them, courage to take them, wisdom to know what to say. In other words, throw that all back on the Lord, all that worry and that stress about, um, am I doing enough? Pray, if you're praying, I think for the moment, and being open, you're doing enough. Pray for opportunities, eyes to see them, courage to take them, wisdom to know what to say. So pray and throw that burden back on the Lord. But the other next application, oh, it's not coming up, uh, is that church is for everyone. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? It ought to be. The angels in heaven, they sing, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. The church is gloriously multinational, multicultural, and multilingual. Hallelujah. What an amazing and glorious thing the church is. I was interested, we, we kind of joined one of the kids' talks, didn't we? We worked out how many languages um, we could speak um, between us, and it's quite interesting to see how many it was. <laughs> and Andy Bannister, who some of you will have heard speak at um, Ashford Kong, he, he notes that most other religions are, con are confined to their heartlands. In other words, there is a part of the world um, where they are strong. Um, Christianity is truly international, he suggests, in a way that most other religions are not. In other words, it reaches around the world and is still reaching new places around the world. The upshot is that this morning we're all brothers and sisters um, in Christ. Wherever we come from, whatever our background um, is, we're all in Christ. We are brothers and sisters, and we stand here um, on an equal footing. In Christ, you are all children of God through faith, 
All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. It's neither male nor female. You are all one um, in Christ Jesus. It's the glory of the church, isn't it? And actually that revelation thing says that we're all priests, a kingdom of priests. In other words, we all have a job of, we all minister God to one another. It's not like you have a priest and it all comes downwards, but we're a kingdom of priests. We all have an equal footing and we're all needed um, and we all have a role of of ministering God um, to one another in simple things. Um, in, in love and care um, and encouragement. And we're one body. We're one body. Just as a body, though one has many parts, Paul says, and all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We're all baptized into one spirit to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave or free. And so the body is not made up of, of one part or many. We all need each other and the different gifts that we bring. And it strikes me that if you've only ever lived in one country and one culture, then you are inevitably short-sighted. Inevitably short-sighted. Some kind of cross-cultural experience is really valuable because you discover how much of your thinking is defined by your culture and your nationality. And I confess that I'm one of those people who have a, uh, benefited from having one brother in your brother-in-law who's Ugandan um, and another one is, is Egyptian. And you just see, uh, you start to get a little insight uh, to how different cultures see the world um, and to some extent see Christ. So we need each other. We need this mix. We need to hear. So we're saying to the kids, we need to hear and we need to listen to one another. So the time over coffee is not just a chance to catch up with your friends. It's a key opportunity to listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who are most different from you. And fourth, final application. Just about meeting God in prayer, really. Interesting that the way these three men, Paul, um, Cornelius, and Peter, meet God, isn't it? Paul is accosted by the risen Jesus when he's on the road heading in the opposite direction, heading in a Christless direction. Cornelius is having his regular time of prayer when God meets with him in a dramatic way. Peter is taking the opportunity to grab some prayer time before lunch and God gives him a a vision. Why the different modes of meeting? Well, I think God accosts the the non-seeker or the non-Christian in everyday life because they they aren't in a place where they're having regular times of prayer. So God meets them where they are. But isn't isn't it interesting that the two believers, God meets them in their prayer times. Now, isn't that Expletive obvious. Isn't that just plainly obvious that God meets with people in their times of prayer? 
The Lord meets us in our times of prayer, does he not? Believers. That does, isn't it? Meets Cornelius in this, in his regular quiet time, his three o'clock quiet time. Meets Peter in his pre-lunch catching, catching some time with the Lord. As Bill would tell you, read the Bible with prayer and pray with the Bible. And you will meet with the Lord. You will absolutely hear the Lord speak. I guarantee it to you. Never had anybody yet come back to me and say, I've tried this and it didn't happen. Okay. Read the Bible in prayer. Pray um, with your Bible open. um, And the Lord will speak to you. So we need to be just careful, I guess, in those times that we're using. The, we can read the Bible in a very kind of perfunctory way, in a kind of chore routine kind of way, um, and then pray down maybe one or two things that, that we need. But read with an ear to listening and pray. And maybe just spend some time reflecting on what is the Lord wanting to say to me in this. I guarantee, guarantee the Lord will speak to you and come and tell me if he doesn't. So just to sum up, to conclude this next thanks. Believe in the cross of Christ, if you haven't done already. Be forgiven. What a great thing. Receive the Holy Spirit. Um, If you haven't, or if you're in any doubt, come and pray with somebody. Be baptized. If it's a missing step of obedience in your life, be baptized. Then accept your new identity. It's a slave of Jesus. We talked about that previously. Meet the Lord in prayer. And then be ready to cross cultures in church and out. Let me pray. I'll pray and then we're going to have our prayer time. Yep. Um, We've got time to pray. So there are things to, to pray about. Let's start just by thinking through what we've been talking about. And then a little bit later we'll move move on to other kinds of prayer. Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to work amongst us. To make real these words. We know that the, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. And you use your, the, uh, your word by your Spirit to, to pierce us and penetrate get to the things in us that need to be changed, please do that today. In these next few moments, as we respond to what we've heard, we ask you to um, speak to our hearts, and uh, as we listen to you for a moment, just lay on our hearts what is right for us individually and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.